Good day and welcome to Maine Pharma Group Limited Full Year Results Call. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Mrs. Scott Richards. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us today uh, to discuss Maine Pharma's Full Year Results for 2021. Joining me on the call is Peter Polderblue, our Chief Financial Officer. Uh, as with past practice, I will provide an overview of the results and our key strategic priorities, and Peter will provide further details on the financial results, and then we will open up the call to questions. On slide four, we outline some of the key operational and financial features of our results. In terms of the numbers, our results were impacted significantly by foreign exchange. On a, current, on a constant currency basis, revenue was $401 million, down 3% versus last year. Reported EBITDA was $66 million, down 5%, and underlying EBITDA was $75 million, down 10%, excluding next setup costs. A key feature of the result was the significant spend reductions, with operating expenses decreasing $26 million, or $18 million, on a constant currency basis. And at the bottom line, we reported a net loss after tax, due to a non-cash intangible asset impairment of the generic portfolio that was reported in the first half. While these results are not at all where we want our business to be, we have made strong progress on our strategy to reposition our company for growth. We achieved the first half FDA approval for Nextella and established a new women's health platform in the US. We significantly expanded our dermatology and women's health portfolios, adding 11 new products and continue to grow our contract services businesses both in the US and in Australia. Both CDMO businesses grew double digits in their base currency, and the number of development projects grew 17% versus last year. In terms of COVID, our specialty products business was the most impacted across the year, with reduced rep access to physician offices, compounded by either office closures or offices operating at significantly reduced capacity which collectively drove down prescribing. As we've emerged through the post-vaccine era in the US, we've seen improved physical access to prescribing over the past quarter, running at around 80% of pre-COVID levels. I would note, though, that there are different levels of access at different, in different parts of the country, and we have recently seen a stalling of positive trends here with the emergence of the Delta variant. Internally, we continue to be focused on protecting the health and safety of our employees and ensuring an uninterrupted supply of medicines to our customers. To that end, we maintain strong throughput at our manufacturing site, with volumes up 30%, and we have seen minimal disruption to our third-party supply chains. While the ongoing challenges in the US generic sector are well documented and our retail generic business continues to negatively impact our group results, I'm encouraged by the performance of our other business segments. Contract services delivered double-digit growth in US dollar terms as a revenue, gross profit and operating profit line. Specialty products, which includes our dermatology, women's health and infectious disease portfolios, delivered strong operating profit growth. And our international business, or MPI, delivered double-digit growth as a gross profit line. Slide six of the results presentation shows our gross profit broken down into dermatology, women's health, contract services, international and the US retail generic business. Excluding the US retail generic business, the remainder of the business now accounts for 82% of gross profit, up from 56% two years ago, highlighting the 
rebalance of our company into what we believe are more durable and predictable businesses where we have a strategic basis to compete effectively. Moving now to operational highlights. May Farmer achieved its first ever NCE or New Chemical Entity approval for Nexcellus in April this year. This is the first approved product containing Estetrol E4 in the United States and the first new estrogen introduced for contraceptive use in the US for over 50 years. As a reminder, E4 is a low-impact estrogen with a unique mechanism of action that offers potential advantages over other estrogens. More than 10 million American women use short-acting contraceptives with more than 99% containing ethanol estradiol, which is a synthetic modified estrogen. E4 is a naturally occurring estrogen now produced from a plant source. Slide 8 outlines the key features of Nexcellus, but essentially this contraceptive offers a predictable menstrual cycle with, ex you know, with an excellent bleeding profile and a low rate of typical adverse events such as acne and weight gain. Nexcellus was launched in late June following the recruitment and training of a new 70-person women's health sales team. The new team has now been in the field for seven weeks and has made over 20,000 calls to high-decile prescribers and held almost 2,000 educational promotional lunches. In this short time, we've reached in person more than 60% of our target audience, which is ahead of plan. Our marketing strategy at this early stage is focused on building awareness of Nextellus amongst key healthcare providers that write branded contraceptives, which are typically OBGYNs and allied nurse practitioners. We recently received the results of our first market survey of prescribers since launch and are encouraged that 47% are aware of E4 and 68% are aware of Nextellus. This compares with 2% and 15% awareness respectively at baseline following the approval in April. This awareness is translating into outcomes with 24% of those that are aware of Nextellus reporting that they are writing prescriptions and 36% reporting the intention to prescribe over the next six months. Slide 10 of the presentation outlines the principal Nexcellus performance metrics we track internally. Gaining commercial insurance coverage is key to ensuring women can access Nexcellus at an affordable price. The vast majority of the oral contraceptive market flows through the commercial channel, and we are making very good progress with top payers and are currently sitting at 50% commercial coverage of which 38% is unrestricted. Our goal by the end of this year is to have 50% unrestricted access, which is then a solid base from which to shift our marketing focus to the consumer. As Nextellus is an NCE, there is a heavy sampling focus initially. Over 30,000 samples have been distributed to physician offices, and our modelling indicates approximately 5,000 women are currently trialling the product. We have good visibility on prescription data and can track growth scripts written, scripts that are in the process of being dispensed, and scripts that are dispensed through the retail channel or through our specialty pharmacy partner, where more than half of our dispensed prescription volumes is today. There are over 1,000 prescriptions that have been written since launch, the majority of which are in the process of dispensing due to women still using up their samples. As a reminder, Nextella participates in the combined hormonal contraceptive market, which is valued at US $3.5 billion. Our business plan for Nextella is targeting peak net sales of more than US $200 million, which represents 2% of the market by unit volume. 
Women's health is a core therapeutic area for men, and we plan to create a leadership position in this market over time through the addition of novel therapies in areas of unmet need. We also want to leverage our generic portfolio of contraceptives, which covers more than 75% of the U.S. oral contraceptive market and includes pipeline products such as the generic version of Nuvarin, which is pending at the FDA. Our second key therapeutic area is our dermatology business, which represents 29% of our gross profit. Over the last two years, this portfolio has faced challenging market conditions with COVID and declining commercial insurance coverage. We've responded to these market dynamics by continuing to adapt our go-to-market strategy together with restructuring our sales team, which has result- um, um, included operating expenses declining by US $9 million versus the prior year, which has significantly improved operating profitability. Today, the dermatology sales team promotes more than a dozen branded and generic products with support from an extensive network of independent specialty pharmacies across the US. We believe our dermatology platform offers advantages in terms of greater convenience and price transparency for patients, reduced administration for the physician, and improved economics for the dispensing pharmacy. The last few months have been very active in dermatology on the business development front, with four new supply agreements signed with leading pharmaceutical companies, including Sandals, Torrent, Cassette, and Upshur Smith add 11 dermatology products to our portfolio. The interest we are seeing from other pharma companies in partnering with Maine has grown substantially over the last 12 months and validates our innovative business model. The two largest pipeline products have combined IQV sales of US $300 million with limited competition and are expected to be meaningful contributors to our business this fiscal year. We expect all of these products to launch across fiscal 22 with strong contribution to sales and earnings from this half. I now want to make a few comments about our US contract services in the international business. Metrics Contract Services has demonstrated a solid track record of double-digit growth over the last eight years and remains one of only a few US-based CDMOs capable of early-stage development through to commercialization from a single contiguous site. It has over 100 clients and supports 13 of the top 20 global pharma companies. In the last year, the business delivered strong results, with sales up 10% and gross profit up 18% in US dollar terms, driven by new commercial manufacturing revenues. The second half performance was even stronger, with sales up 20% on the first half. We continue to see favorable dynamics in the CDMO market, with the growth of compounds in clinical development and growing outsourcing trends. Our capabilities are focused on high-potent oral solid dose processes. This is very aligned to the growth we are seeing in new molecules programs in the oncology space. Going forward, Metrics has a buoyant pipeline of development projects across the pharmaceutical value chain, including 22 projects in phase one, 20 projects in phase two, and a dozen projects in phase three. In fiscal 22, Five metrics clients are expected to file NDAs with the FDA. MPI, or our international business, also has a demonstrated track record of growth since fiscal 15. The international business operates out of the Salisbury South Australia facility, which is the largest Australian-owned full-service solid-dose site manufacturing both TGA and FDA-registered products. In fiscal 22, the business benefited from strong sales growth, in its CDMO unit, which grew 
and Australian product sales were up 6%. At the gross profit line, NPI achieved double-digit growth, benefiting from record volumes at our Salisbury plant, which were up 60% on the prior corresponding period. The outlook for the international segment is very positive, with a solid pipeline of new product launches expected to support growth of the Australian products business. SolarAge, Gel and Actifural Topical Solutions were recently added to the Australian portfolio. Both products are indicated for the treatment of actinic keratosis, and, and these will be promoted by our existing sales team, focusing on dermatologists and general practitioners that specialise in skin cancer. And next year, we have the potential launches of Nextellus and Fabior in Australia, which are both pending at the TGA. With that, I'll now hand over to Pete, and he'll go into further details about the results. Thanks, Scott, and good morning, everyone. I will take a few minutes to provide a brief overview of our financial results for the year. On slide 21, you will see that foreign exchange has clearly had a material negative impact this year on our results, with the average A-dollar, US dollar strengthening over 10%, from 67 cents in the prior corresponding period to 75 cents in financial year 21. At the top line, reported revenues were $401 million, down $56 million versus the prior period, with the weaker US dollar accounting for $40 million of the sales decline. On a constant currency basis, revenue was down 3%. The balance of the sales decline was due to further erosion of the retail generic segment of GPD. Reported gross profit was $182 million, down 5% on a constant currency basis, and the gross margin of 45.4% was essentially flat. Reported EBITDA was $66 million, which steps up to $76 million on a constant currency basis, representing a 5% decline versus the prior period. We have provided two versions of underlying EBITDA in the documents today, one excluding Nextella setup costs, as we did in the first half, and one including these costs to be consistent with how analysts have treated Nextellus in their research reports. The total FX impact of the EBITDA line was around $10 million, as noted earlier, which includes the translation FX impact of $7 million, a transaction currency impact of $1 million, and the balance from the revaluation of trading assets. Slide 22 of the presentation outlines the underlying adjustments to EBITDA. The two key ones are the non-cash credit of $20.6 million arising from a decrease in the fair value of earnout liabilities and $15 million of restructuring costs comprising organisational changes we implemented across our global business throughout the year and the discontinuation of certain non-viable generic products and development programs. These changes are expected to drive annual cost savings of up to US $10 million in financial year 22. At the bottom line, we reported a net loss of $208 million. A key component of this result is the non-cash impairment of our generic intangible assets, which was taken in the first half. In terms of our operating businesses, Scott has already talked about MCS and the international segments. I will now make a few high-level comments on the specialty and generics businesses. 
The specialty product segment, US dollar sales and gross profit were essentially flat versus PCP. Operating profit, however, was up 66% due to the significant reduction in marketing expenses following the restructure of the dermatology platform and refresh of our go-to-market strategy in this segment. Dermatology sales were down by US $3 million with COVID affecting access to physicians, as well as a tougher managed care environment with increased rebating required for commercial coverage. SPD benefited from the launch of Nextelis and Soltamox, which contributed US $3.5 million in sales. Nextelis sales in June were driven by inventory stocking into key wholesalers. Going forward, we expect limited sales of Nextelis in the first quarter of the fiscal year, with the second quarter expected to see sales revenue more closely track prescription demand. GPD revenue was down 10% versus PCP, impacted by ongoing pricing pressure across the portfolio as wholesaler bidding activity stepped up. Two new competitors launched on liathyronine in the second half, impacting sales of this product, which were down over 50% versus the first half. While this represented a significant headwind in our financial year 21 result, further rationalisation is occurring across the generics industry in the US, driving incremental new opportunities in select product markets, which we continue to carefully monitor. Across the period, more than 10 products were transferred into our own facilities or into new manufacturing sites, which will provide a stronger basis for competing in the coming year. Future performance of the generic segment will continue to be heavily influenced by the timing of FDA approvals and the competitive intensity of key product markets. We continue to optimise the performance of our generic portfolio, including discontinuing unprofitable products, reducing stock obsolescence and streamlining our cost base through realignment of supply chain activities with raw material suppliers and CMOs. Moving to expenses. Our op OPEX cost base reduced in total by $26 million or $18 million on a constant currency basis. This excludes next dollar setup costs. Within OPEX, Marketing and distribution costs were down by $16 million or $11 million FX adjusted, reflecting the restructure undertaken last year in the dermatology business, both to reduce costs and improve alignment with our business model. Admin and other expenses were down $13 million, but this includes a number of non-cash and non-operating items. Note four of the accounts provides a detailed disclosure on our admin expenses. Excluding these non-cash and non-operating items, admin and other expenses were down $10 million or $7 million FX adjusted. In terms of the other key expense buckets, gross R&D spend, including both capitalised and expensed amounts, was $26 million, down $9 million on PCP, whilst net R&D expense was $22 million, down $3 million on PCP. The R&D capitalisation rate fell from 31% to 18%, reflecting the reduced generic R&D spend as we continue to pivot our development activities towards specialty products. Total finance expenses increased by $1 million, 
although this includes interest expense and a number of non-cash items, such as the discount unwind on earnout liabilities. This item increased $5 million in financial year 21 due to the full year effect of the Nextellus earnout liability. Interest expense related to our debt facilities was $11 million, down $3 million from the prior period, benefiting from an improved cost of funds with the average interest cost declining from 4.1% in financial year 20 to 3.7% in the current financial year. In terms of cash flow, operating cash flow represented an inflow of $59 million for the year. Whilst down significantly from financial year 20, the prior year benefited from a $50 million release of working capital. Adjusting for these working capital changes and additional favourable cash tax impacts, operating cash flow was $62 million versus $65 million in the PCP. This year, there has been a small investment in working capital due to a number of factors, including the launch of Nextellus, sourcing decisions related to API and finished dose manufacturing, and supply continuity of key products during COVID. We note that our supply interactions with Teva have largely wound down with ostensibly all manufacturing activities now moved to their final destination sites. The key cash flow investing items were $17 million of CapEx spent on our two manufacturing facilities, $24 million of earnout payments, $3 million on product acquisitions, and $5 million for capitalised R&D. Included in the investing cash flows was the FDA approval milestone of US $11 million paid to licensed partner Mithra in April earlier this year. After investing cash flows, the company produced free cash flow of $10 million, enabling net debt to fall by that corresponding amount. In terms of bank covenants, our bank leverage ratio was 2.6 times versus a covenant of 3.75 times, and interest cover was 7.9 times versus the covenant of three times. The shareholders fund covenant continues to remain in compliance with shareholders' funds of over $770 million. Looking forward, we remain focused on generating free cash flow, deleveraging the balance sheet, and prudently controlling our spending. Capital efficiency and allocation will be a key area of emphasis in financial year 22, as we continue to look for further opportunities across our balance sheet to optimise returns to our shareholders. We have a significant asset base across both key geographies, which provides optionality as to further non-dilutive funding to support our growth strategy across the group. We have many programs underway to further improve our cost base, strengthen our supply chain, and, and reduce product manufacturing costs. We anticipate upsizing our receivables financing facility this year to fund the working capital investments. We expect for a number of new product launches on the dermatology side and also to support the ramp up of Nextellus. And with that, I will now hand back to Scott. Thanks, Peter. Uh, so look, in summary, the main farmers' key priorities for the coming year are the successful commercialization of Nextellus in the United States, the launch of more than a dozen dermatology and women's health products also in the United States, accelerating the growth of metrics contract services and our international business, 
whilst, of course, continuing to drive an efficient operational cost base across the company. And with that, I'll now hand back to the operator and we can take questions. Thank you, Scott. If you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you're using a speakerphone, please make sure you mute your mute function. It's turned off to allow us your signal to reach our equipment. A voice prompt on your phone line will indicate when your line is open. Please state your name before posing your question. Again, press star 1 to ask a question. We'll pause for just a moment to allow everyone an opportunity to signal for questions. We'll take our first question from our participant. At the tone, please state your name and company. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Uh, it's Saul Hadassin at Barangay Capital. Can you hear me, Scott? Yes, I can, Saul. Thanks for taking my questions, and good morning, Peter, as well. Um, Scott, just the first one, and Peter might have covered this. I might have missed this in his remarks about Nextella's sales through... Uh, FY22, but can you give us any sense of your expectations, just noting that that inventory build um, into the back end of FY21, any rough guess of where those sales might end up through FY22? Yeah, look, so we haven't provided any specific guidance on, on sales for FY22. Um, obviously, it's a critical year. Uh, the launch ramp, um, uh, you know, is critical for our ultimate destination with more than 200 million in peak sales um, you know I think we'll have a better idea and we'll be able to provide probably um, more color on that once we get through this sampling phase with patients uh, but as I said earlier um, you know in my open comments every key performance metric we're tracking today is either on plan or ahead of plan um, and our plan is consistent with our ultimate death. But, you know, peak, peak sales will be, as we've always said, peak sales will be in three to four years' time. Yeah, understood. Thanks, Scott. Um, and just another one, the slide where you talk about the uh, dermatology products that have been licensed with partners in the generic space, can you just confirm, you mentioned most mm. of them don't have significant competition. Um the, the, where it talks to the number of approved dermatology products uh, by partner, are they, the, are they current, the drugs currently in existence in the market? Are you adding to those numbers with entry um, in terms of the level of competition across those products? Yeah, so we are um, partnering with companies that have either have an existing presence in the market, but we are uh, their exclusive um, distributor in our independent specialty channel, where, where as I think you realise, dermatology products have a significant um, distribution presence. So in some cases, in most cases, there is an existing product, that partner, but it's not in the channel of business that we are in because that's where we have expertise as opposed to, say, in the retail channel. Um, so that's the basis of the partnerships, generally speaking. Um, and further, um, two of the products um, in particular are in size. I mentioned 300 million US dollars. Um, they are products that are meaningful 
uh, in terms of their potential for us in our channel, and both have limited competition, and both have, um, if you like, some intrinsic barriers to entry as well. Great, thanks, Scott. And just this last quick one for Peter, maybe. Um, Peter, just look at those those covenants that you have, and I guess particularly focusing on the um, the shareholder uh, uh, capital base or shareholder funds base. Um, I guess the the, the headroom there is is somewhat limited. If there was to be, say, for example, further impairments uh, in the generics business, what's your what's your sense as to whether that's likely to occur, or if you think you've now reached a floor in terms of those the write down in that division? So uh, we have two CGUs that are related to our generics assets in the US. Um, one of those we classify as GPD other, and that has uh, a, a relatively small amount of intangible value that remains um, uh, you know, ascribed to that uh, CGU, whilst GPD Women's Health, our other generics um, CGU, has a, has a slightly higher number, both, as you will see in note 13 of the accounts, have uh, you know reasonable headroom from a recoverable value sense to their carrying value, so we feel reasonably comfortable that um, we're in a good position on both of those CGUs going forward. Great, thank you guys. That's all I had. Thanks, Phil. We will take our next question for our next participant. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hi, it's Gretel Janu from Credit Suisse here. Um, first question, just on specialty brands. Um, so second half performance on a constant currency basis was actually below first half, just when I look at it on a half-on-half -half basis. So what happened um, in second half to, to drive that lower revenue performance? Yeah, thanks, Gretel. Well, look, um, two things, or two or three things. One, one, um, there was some ongoing, you know, as I said in my opening comments, there's been ongoing pressure on commercial insurance coverage on some of our dermatology brands. That's part of the story. The other part is, you know, there is a significant difference between first half and second half, and you'll see that in the prior year. If you look at the prior year across our dermatology brand, uh, there was a significant downturn in the second half versus the first half. And, in fact, the second half of the year we just had is quite comparable to the second half of the previous financial year. And the reason for that, as I think I've talked about before, is that um, in January, um, there's basically, you know, everybody's insurance program, those people that are on the high deductible insurance program, which is a ever-increasing number of Americans, um, get their deductible reset. So as a result, we're covering more patients with our copay cards and therefore our net selling prices effectively are dropping. That then recovers through the year. So there's always a, a pretty significant half on half, January to June versus July to December effect as those deductibles are burned through and the copay card support that we provide starts to, starts to come off. Um, so I would encourage you to look at the dermatology business um, half-to-half versus PCP, if that makes sense. I mean, COVID, COVID, of course, continues to be in effect, but COVID was in effect, of course, in the first half, but it was, you know, it was also, you know, there was a significant COVID effect in the first, you know, in the first quarter of this calendar year, as I said in my 
remarks, it, 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 it's been getting better in terms of access to physician offices you know, in the second quarter, but beginning to stall a little bit again right now. Understood. So I guess just in terms of the exit run rate then for the specialty brands, I, I guess how much recovery have we seen from, from that COVID downturn? Um, like and should we be expecting, you know, stronger growth in, in FY22? Yeah, look, you should certainly be seeing, I mean, I mean, there's two elements of growth. I mean, certainly the half-on-half -half phenomenon around high deductible plan um, resets and then patients meeting their deductible and the manufacturer taking less of the burden, that will be an ongoing phenomenon um, for our brands from the first half of this calendar year to the second half, as we've seen in every other prior year. Um, of course, um, you know, with the restructuring of our sales force, not only have we taken operating costs out um, that we had the benefit of, of course, in, in fiscal 21, but we've also changed quite radically our, our go-to-market model with the remaining team. Um, and look, you know, you know, I can say at this early juncture, we're already beginning to see some of the benefits of that in terms of our underlying prescription data on key products. So I think those two things, just the time of the year on the high deductible piece um, and and the, the benefits coming from Salesforce effectiveness, you know, are going to be um, tailwinds we should enjoy. And then, of course, I mentioned the addition of 11 dermatology products, of which um, all of them are important because we're building a portfolio approach here. But two of them in particular um, could be material to the dermatology business across fiscal 22, and one of them um, is going to launch very shortly, and the other hopefully in the not-too-distant future, um, and both have limited competition. And, of course, the way we sell these products, you know, even though they're generics, we don't really sell them as generics. We're dealing with um, physicians. We're dealing with our specialty pharmacies. We're dealing with patients. Uh, we provide support to patients so they pay a reproducible price. Um, and as a result, we can command a premium over the retail channel. So, you know, this is quite a captive market, and it's the reason why and you know, in our ability because of our sales team and our relationship with these specialty pharmacies um, and our relationship with doctors gives us the ability to drive a segment of business that generic companies can't. And that's why we've been successful at partnering with the number of companies that we've um, just announced. Great, that makes sense. Thanks, Scott. And then can we get an update on Tulsura, please? Um, so I know COVID has disrupted the ramp up, but should we expect now that hospitals are becoming more open in the US, um, you know, a significant ramp up in FY22? Yeah, look, um, thanks for that question. I mean, it's, um, look, we've seen, you know, we've seen good rebound from Tulsura in the second half. I mean, look, the product's still small because COVID, COVID, is still, um, you know, the biggest, you know, the product that has had, um, you know, has been impacted the most by COVID in terms of physician access has been Tulsura by far because we're dealing with mainly infectious disease physicians and we're dealing with hospitals. Um, so I think, uh, you know, and that's, whilst it's getting better, um, 
you know, we are seeing some pullback there now because of the Delta variant. Um, it is certainly better than it was, say, six months ago. Um, you know, what I can tell you is that whether it's units um, or scripts or new prescriptions, um, you know, the metrics for top zero half on half are significantly up, um, more than 50% in, in all of those categories. Um, you know, so look, the team is, the team is enthusiastic. The team expects to, um, grow strongly in fiscal 22. The only caution I would, I would, I would have right now is, is obviously the environment, um, concerning the Delta variant. Uh, so we'll just have to wait and see. Thanks. And then just one final question on Excellus. Um, so your operating expense guidance of 50 mil for FY22, how much of that is related to launch costs as opposed to what we should consider then as being kind of the underlying cost base going forward? Peter, maybe you want to answer that. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Scott. Uh, Gretel, uh, the $50 million is all related to underlying OPEX in fiscal year 22. We're through the setup and, and launch phase now that we've commercially launched in June. So you should think about that as the, the underlying cost base for the women's health platform in the US. Great. Thanks very much. Thanks, Gretel. Once again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1. We will take our next question from our next participant. At the tone, please state your name and company. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hi, it's John Deacon-Bell here um, from City. My question was just, just to follow on from that, that last question there. On the on the OPEX, Peter, for FY22, can you just, just overall um, X, X the cost for Nextelis? Are we, are we kind of at that run rate in the second half of that's stable now, or, or are there further costs to come out? I think a couple of factors there, John. One, we, we alluded to some of the restructuring costs at 30 June uh, in, in my speech, uh, where we expect further run rate efficiencies in fiscal year 22, and, and the company is continuing to look at, at ways of optimising you know, our underlying cost base across all of our operations globally. So, you know, the exit run rate should be a good direction for what the 22 cost base would look like, but we expect it to be ahead of that based on some of those restructuring activities we've done across the year. Um, the second aspect is obviously Nextellus is incremental to that, the women's health infrastructure. So, you know, when we think about the base business, we're continuing to drive efficiencies, as we mentioned, around dermatology and, uh, you know, supply chain efficiencies, et cetera even efficiencies across our gross net activities um, with our US commercial activities. So, you know, the, the, the run rate should be stepping down into 22, uh, and, we, you know, uh, although, of course, the next Dallas piece is incremental. Yeah, okay. And the, there was a, I think in the second half, there was a $15 million impairment unrelated to the, to the write-down. So was that just restructuring, uh, like, redundancies and stuff like that? No, that impairment charge was related to in-process R&D. John? Right. In-process R&D. So things that you thought would work but you that aren't going to work. So you, you've written off. Correct. Okay. And 
And um, could we just get an update on Nuva Ring? Uh, Scott, perhaps the like the likely time. It's obviously been a long time coming, and then and then also perhaps just on the broader, you know, your view of the broader generic price deflation for the next twelve months. Yeah, sure, John. Um, well, we filed our, our complete response letter um, to the FDA in, uh, in March this year. So we expect we expect a potential answer from the FDA um, potentially as early as the end of September, but it could be as late as the end of January. And the reason why. I, I say that is that if the FDA wishes to re-inspect Mitra, either physically or virtually, then they will um, um, they will comply with that later date as a target action date. So as we sit here now, towards the end of August, we're unsure. Um, you know, we're we're attempting uh, to to uh, find out more from the FDA, but I must say. Um, Transparency with the Office of Generic Drugs is not a strong suit. So, uh, um, you know, the response we made to the CRL in March was very thorough, um, um, with great support from Mitra. Um, so, look, you know, we're getting closer. I'd like to be able to be more specific than that. It still remains a very buoyant market, whether we're the third generic or the fourth generic. Um, this is still going to be relative to our current generic business, this is still going to be um, ultimately an important product for us. And as far as, um, you know, just a general comment on price deflation, look, you know, the sector remains volatile. Um, wholesalers and, and the three big buying groups, you know, continue to um, strive for incremental savings, even on products that you know, one could say, are already commoditised. And I suppose as long as manufacturers continue to offer prices, then um, buying groups will continue to seek bids, even on mature uh, product lines. So we've seen a bit of that, um, and we've been hurt, obviously, significantly. So look, we expect ongoing erosion. We continue to plan for ongoing erosion, but as Peter talked about, you know, we continue to try and offset that with as many things as we can possibly do on the cost side. Um, and we are seeing, you know, potentially some interesting capital light opportunities to take advantage of our distribution infrastructure with some additional portfolio. So, you know, it's a it's a it's a tough business. Um, but obviously we want to harvest those cash flows at the very least as long as we can and, and to put as much stability into that business as we can for obvious reasons. Thanks very much. Thanks, John. It appears there are no further questions at this time. Uh, Mr. Scott, I'd like to turn the conference back to you for any additional or closing remarks. Thank you, everybody, and I look forward to talking to some of you uh, through the through the course of the next week. Have a good day. This concludes today's call. You may now disconnect.